Mark. How's it going? It's going okay, Tony. How are you, sir? Good, thanks. Well, uh, how are things treating you out on the uh, West Coast? <laughs> oh, it's been storming out here, which is uh, a nice change of pace. It's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've got whatever storm system's traveling across the U.S., we got it hitting us uh, here tomorrow, and so... Looking at some uh, five to seven inches of snow. So. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah. Well, where are you, where are you located? I am located in the middle of Wisconsin. So. Oh okay. Yeah. Cool. So. <laughs> oh man. Well, I'm glad you could uh, take some time out uh, so we could talk. I mean, we've uh, been sure. featuring SOVHorror.com this week on the Final Cut on my channel. And yeah, I wanted to get an opportunity to talk to you about uh, not only this, but just uh, your film work in general. And uh, yeah, so I I'm glad you took this time. So uh, if you wouldn't mind giving my listeners just a little bit possibly of uh, your background first of uh, in uh, film. Yeah, so um, I mean, uh, I, I, I grew up, I was a huge horror nerd as a kid. I, I was like completely obsessed with horror films you know i grew up in the in the 80s yeah and so you know that was kind of the big vhs boom at the time and you know it was like this whole magical world discovering you know video rental stores and uh you know it was one of those things that literally became an obsession with me you know i one video membership became two became three became four became five Next thing you know, my mom's driving me all around, you know, San Diego, where I live, you know, uh, renting movies all over the place, the, the poor woman. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, yeah, I pretty much was just really obsessed with horror films and always, you know, loved horror and uh, got into making short films with friends. And uh, eventually, you know, I kind of graduated high school. I didn't know really what I wanted to do with my life. I was also kind of more into music as well. I used to play in, like punk rock bands and stuff like that. And so... You know, eventually it was kind of like, well, what am I going to do? And my mom's like, what are you going to do with your life? It's that typical, you know, <laughs> yeah. what are you going to do with your life? I'm tired of you just sitting around getting stoned all day. <laughs> so, um, you know, and she suggested there, there, she had seen some commercials on TV about a local kind of a school that mm -hmm. taught digital video production. Sure. And, uh, I said, cool, yeah, I'll check it out, you know, and I, I reluctantly signed up to go to college and took out all the student loans and everything that kind of goes with that. And that kind of was like my beginning of getting into the film industry. And after that, you know, after graduating college, I, I landed a job working uh, at a local company here called Legend 3D, where we did a 3D conversion nice. on a, lots of big Hollywood blockbuster movies. This was like the kind of mid early 2000s sure. so it was like that first real big 3d wave that was really popular <laughs> at the time and so you know i started working on that stuff which was great you know it paid the bills and all that but it wasn't really my passion you know my sure. passion was always horror movies b movies and stuff like that so you know luckily i befriended rick sloan and i worked on who made the great film hobgoblins and mm -hmm. i worked on hobgoblins 2 with him and that was kind of like my first real time working on a real film set and I mean, from there on, it was just like, okay, go, go, go. I want to make movies and kind of slowly started making, you know, movies and stuff. Nice. Uh, you're, it's bringing a smile to my face. You mentioned Hobgoblins because I, <laughs> I, I, uh, we talked about it on a show. I think it was Astro Radio Z or whatever with Mr. Uh, Derek Carey at the time. I think it was for that, or I forgot what it was for, but I just remember watching it and 
them fighting with the puppets and that. So did you have, did you, were you at, uh, at crafting those, uh, the, the beasties from Hobgoblins or? So I, I did like uh, 5 million different jobs on that. I originally started off just as a kind of a production assistant and creating a bunch of props for the sequel for part two. And uh, eventually, you know, I ended up actually working on the film itself. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I didn't get to do any puppeteering, sadly. Um, but I did get to play with the puppets quite a bit, which was a lot nice. of fun. Uh, one of my buddies uh, came down. You know, I, I would bring friends with me down there because I'm in San Diego. I was in L.A. And I would literally sure. drive home every night, get about an hour of sleep, and then drive back to L.A. Wow. It was too poor to afford, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, any place to stay out there. So um, one of my buddies who went with me actually had to sew one of the arms back on one of the hobgoblins because it had fallen off and stuff. <laughs> and I play, I have a small role in the movie too. It's very small. I mean, you blink, you'll miss me, but I, I get a carjacked in the film. I'm like a doctor who gets carjacked. And my big line is, no, no, that's my car. <laughs> I just remember seeing the actors fight with the monsters to make them, you know, it just, you know, that, that great, um, I, you know, I like to say micro budget, uh, you know, lower micro budget more so than low budget, because, uh, I, I think sometimes that's given a, a negative connotation and I think it turns people off and it's, it's kind of sad because I have that passion too. I've actually developed more and more over as I've gotten older, um, a passion for a lot of the B movie stuff for me. I grew up in the eighties too. Uh, and I watched a lot of VHS. I don't have nearly as as impressive collection as what is behind you, I will say. But I, I have some, including one time I brought home a box of 400 some odd VHS that I got for three bucks from uh, a place. And my my wife goes, where are you going to put those <laughs> downstairs? She's like, oh, OK, fine. Uh, <laughs> but, I know that one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, you know, the 90s, I was in college, and so I didn't seek out a whole lot of shot-on-video stuff, which is like a lot of the stuff you offer on SOVHorror.com. So I kind of missed out on that angle, you know, that batch of it. I mean, I, I still went to the video stores and got VHS, and then they moved to DVD and that, but I didn't seek out that type of horror. I was still more kind of along the mainstream. And then uh, about seven years ago, well, more than that now, uh, eight or nine years ago, my good friend said, hey, there's an independent horror film festival in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Uh, you want to go? And I'm like, yeah, sure. Fell, you know, I was going to interview some folks, fell in love with indie, low budget horror scene with people. And then Derek in introduced me to shot on video stuff. He's like, have you heard of video violence? You know, which. I have the oh, nice. I have a <laughs> shirt here that came with the vinyl record soundtrack that I purchased from uh, uh, one of the I think it was either Mondo or Wax I forgot who would put it out but um yeah and so you know I'm like no and so we did this whole series and I I've grown to really appreciate it you know uh, now with SOV horror. Uh, and, and we may go all around because there's a lot of stuff I'd love to talk about with you. Um, but with SOVHorror.com, what goes into choosing them? Are these ones that you were fans of that you sought out? Or are these ones that, you know, you run across? I was wondering how you pick some of these uh, uh, rather obscure films that seem to have been lost in discussions and horror groups and all over the place. So. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, first thing kind of, you know, one of my things I came up with when I started this label was I only wanted to put out movies I like. So, (laughs) you know, I I mean, I've been offered many movies that I just haven't liked. And Mm -hmm. I don't want to put out something that I can't have faith in because I am a one man operation. I mean, I literally do everything myself except for the art. I typically work with different artists on that. But for the most part, I mean, I'm cutting all the making ofs. I'm cutting the trailers, you know, I'm doing all the encoding, the authoring, all that stuff, you know, putting together the extras. So it's like, if you're going to work months on a movie, you really have to love that movie, you know? Um, Cause there's really not m- much money in this, you know, it's definitely, I don't do this for the money. I do it for the love of it. Mm-hmm. As far as picking titles though, you know, some of them have literally just fallen in my lap where others, you know, I've definitely sucked, seeked out certain titles. Sure. Um, our first title actually, and how I really started was um kind of before the label existed i was running a website sovhorror.com and i was working on a documentary web series uh, about shot on video filmmakers called sov the true independence and while i was working on this i was directing a uh, or sorry uh interviewing a director named jay wolfel mm-hmm. who people might know he did a, a one of my favorites uh, the original things movie he also did a uh, demonicus demon gladiator from hell trancers six he's done a lot of cool movies and uh, jay had given me a box of old vhs tapes and on one of those tapes what it was like a a, a dub tape that had like three or four movies on it sure. and uh, it caught my eye because it had one of hugh gallagher's first movies on it called dead silence which mm. at the time was extremely rare and hard to find and so i was really excited to watch dead silence but right before dead silence on this tape was a little movie called metal noir and I'm like, well, what is this Metal Nor movie? You know, I, I should review this for the website. And so I, I watched Metal Nor and I absolutely fell in love with the movie. And uh, after watching it, I was like, how come, how come I've never heard of this? Why has no one ever talked about this film? And doing further research, I found out the movie was never released. Oh, wow. And so I was like, wow, you know, like this movie's great. I love this. I need to get this out there somehow. And I, I got in contact with the director, David R. Williams, who's a real awesome guy. And uh, we made a deal to, to put out Metal Noir. And uh, to give you an example of how much love goes into these, I mean, part of the problem with Metal Noir was the original elements were destroyed in a flood. Oh, man. And so <laughs> I had just had this really bad copy of a copy of a copy VHS of the movie that just looked terrible. I mean, you, you probably remember, uh, you know, probably buying bad VHS bootlegs or even watching oh, yeah. bad you know, UHF television. <laughs> I mean, that's probably the best way I could describe how, how this copy looked. It was, you know, only us old timers are used to watching that kind of quality can probably even get through it. <laughs> and so, you know, I was like, well, crap, you know, what am I going to do? And luckily one of the actors actually had a digitized work print of the film. Oh, wow. But it was missing all the music. Sure. It was, you know, it was kind of pixelated because it was digitized. He no longer had the tape. And so I went through the painstaking process of re-editing the movie from scratch using my VHS cut I had, his work print, and the soundtrack to the film, which I was able to acquire. So, I mean, and and I, I spent a lot of time, I mean, literally frame for frame, like I wanted it to be exactly like it was on that initial tape that I saw, you know. And so, I mean, that, that release took over six months for me to, you know, cut cut the movie back together from scratch, you know. And so it's like, if you're going to put that much time and love into a movie, you really do have to care about it. And so after Metal Noir, it was really like, you know, a no brainer. The second release was Zombrella's House of Horrors, which is a movie I made with my good buddy, Tim Ritter. 
And then after that, you know, people started hitting me up. Hey, I got a movie. And, you know, I started <laughs> seeking out certain movies like Mr. Ice Cream Man was one that I, I seeked out because it was, you know, a movie I loved, you know, a movie like Spirit Gallery. That one was offered to me, which was amazing. I mean, it's such a great movie. And uh, so, yeah, they kind of come from all over the place. <laughs> Long story short. No, no, that's great. It's I, I love it. I love the stories behind that because that's. I mean, everybody's like now, I mean, and I mentioned it in my reviews. I think people nowadays are, you know, so used to having your, your video, your camera right here. I mean, you just, and you want to shoot an HD movie, you've got it in your pocket. You could just shoot. Whereas the shot on video stuff, you know, they, it took a little bit more work and effort. And, and I think people don't realize those who try to replicate that. 99.9% of the filmmakers doing the shot on video, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, were out to make legit films. They aren't making, they weren't making ha-ha, I mean, unless it was a comedy, but still, you know, they they weren't making them like this on purpose to be funny or ironic. There's some legit honesty behind these 90s shot on video. I mean, for me, I think that's more of the appeal than your modern retro horror is because they feel genuine. Do they feel that to you too? Oh, for sure. I mean, the great thing I love about shot on video cinema is, you know, these are movies made by movie fans. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like you said, this was still when the technology was in its infancy. I mean, it, it was not in the 80s and early 90s. It was not cheap to buy a video camera. <laughs> no. It was not cheap to buy a three quarter inch editing deck. It wasn't cheap to go to the television studio and edit these movies, you know, and these guys really worked with a lot of limitations. And, you know, a lot of these films, unfortunately, do kind of have that connotation. Oh, they're so bad. They're good. And hey, some kind of are, you know, yeah. I mean, I, I can enjoy movies on that level as well. But what I really love about shot on video movies is the passion and the heart I see in these movies. Mm -hmm. I always like to say SOV equals love because you really have to have love to go out there and dedicate all this time, money, and resources to making a movie that, I mean, it's an uphill battle for these things to even get released. You know, I mean, it's amazing that a lot of these movies did get released in the 80s and 90s. And there's a ton, you know, like Metal Nor and Spirit Gallery yeah. that never did get released, you know, and that are just collecting dust and, and, and sadly, you know, falling falling victim to time you know and uh yeah it, and you know i had never heard of metal noir and spirit gallery till i saw them on the site and then i watched them i got you know getting the opportunity to watch them and i'm like this is these are fun you know these are these these are no worse than you know some of the more popular ones video violence and you know uh, all of those uh other sh popular shot on video where you're like Wow, I mean, this is, you know, especially, you know, Spirit Gallery. I, I posted the review and people have watched the trailer and some of them are saying, wow, this is rather David Lynchian, you know, and I'm like, it does until a certain point and it gets more Cronenberg uh, <laughs> at the end. But you can see the influences and they're really trying to make a movie. And I think they they really accomplish it, especially, I mean, Metal Noir and Spirit Gallery are two. I'm, I'm glad you did what you did because... Watching these, I'm like, man, you look at these now and you're like, could you imagine if they actually had the budget and more resources, what this film even could have been? I mean, uh, it, you know, for you, 
when you're watching these, does your mind wander occasionally? If so, you know, how does it water maybe of what it even could have been or imagining it with a bigger budget? (laughs) I truly believe a lot of these movies would be considered classic horror films if they were shot on 16 millimeter film. I mean, even a low grade film stock like that, you know, people would be, you know, these would be the movies people would want vinegar syndrome and, and, and these other companies to release. And, you know, it's, it's, it's really cool and, and very humbling for myself to get to put these out and get those out there. I like to think that someday, you know, maybe when they're, you know, I no longer carry the rights or whatnot, that maybe, you know, a vinegar syndrome or something larger will pick these films up and get them out to a larger audience. Cause ultimately, you know, film is meant to be seen. Movies are meant to be seen. And, you know, People like David R. Williams who did Metal Noir and John Streisand who did Spirit Gallery. I mean, these guys are artists. These guys mm-hmm. are not just like, hey, I'm going to make a movie, ha, 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 you know? It's like, these guys are literally, you know, they spent lots of money on making these movies. I think Spirit Gallery cost $10,000 to make. I mean, mm-hmm. these were not cheap productions. These were, you know, these people put their heart and soul into these things and, and you know, great, great filmmakers, you know? Yeah. I mean... I mean, John Strasick, you know, went on to work with Stuart Gordon a lot and did a lot of mm-hmm. stuff with Stuart Gordon, writing scripts for him and directed episodes of Tales from the Dark Side and Monsters. And, you know, the, these are people who really had a passion. And it's it's so great, you know, getting to be able to share these movies. And I just hope more people can check them out, you know, and, and get to enjoy them. Yeah, I, I mean, and... I've grown that love. I think you have to you have to go into them a bit with an open mind because there is a certain expectation. And even when I, uh, you know, grew to love uh, micro budget indie horror, you you do. And I set a lot of people up when I recommend them. I'm like, you got to go in realizing this was made on a shoestring budget or, you know. So as far as aesthetics go, you're going to run into some of that. But if you can look past that and see the talent, like you said, the the two classic examples, we keep bringing them up, but they were just so solid. But even Ice Cream, Mr. Ice Cream Man, the the talent that's there through shots picked or, you know, direction or even acting talent. Some of these people, this is the only film they were in and they didn't do bad. I think what uh, Metal Noir, the, the female lead, I think that was her only film. And I think yeah. she was she was great in it, in all honesty, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, and, and, and you know, uh, these people did these movies because I'm sure a lot of them didn't even get paid. You know, they oh, did yeah. these movies because they wanted they had a uh, they wanted to act. They wanted to you know, they really wanted to do it. You know, it, 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 it wasn't about becoming famous. I don't think it was about any of that stuff. You know, these people, I don't think, had preconceived notions that their films are going to be these giant films, you know. Right. I think anyone making shot on video movies in the late 80s, early 90s knew that is a very limited market and they'd be lucky if they even got distribution on it. But, you know, that was their passion, you know, just like any great artist, that's their passion. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I, I like to say, you know, I mean, we do this, we do it because we love it. Right. <laughs> you know? I mean, you know, uh, if it, I, I talk to people all the time who, who talk about, you know, wanting to make movies and people do lots of crowdfunding and stuff like that. And I, I don't knock people for doing that. Personally, it's not my own way. Right. And my thought is like, hey, it's never been about money. It's never been about any of that. It's all about just making art. And when you're an artist, whether you're a musician, a filmmaker, uh, you know, a fine artist, whatever you may be, you do it because you have a drive and you really can't control it. You're only happy if you work, you know. Sometimes I try to take time off of SOV horror 
you know, I'll try to take a week off or something and uh, my, I just can't do it. You know, yeah. <laughs> like I, I have to get back to work because it's just, you know, so regardless if I ran the label, I'd be making movies or mm-hmm. working on creative projects because I think a lot of myself as well as a lot of these filmmakers, you know, we just have a drive to create, you know, that's kind of who we are, you know. And, and I can relate as well. There's been periods where I took a small break from reviewing or creating content for the YouTube channel. And I get an itch like after a week, I just like, oh man, you know, I really got to, and you know, just then one night I just crank out like six reviews. Cause I just, I, it's like, you have to, and yeah. And that's what I love is this passion and it comes through. And what I always find interesting with the shot on video stuff, especially is how a lot of these films were in the nineties, but VHS was kind of on its way out a bit in the late 90s, you know, because DVD was becoming you know up and coming and, and you saw ads everywhere for the big mainstream films. So the shot on video stuff really kind of becomes this niche like, yo, man, you got any of that shot on video horror, man? You know? <laughs> ye old passing of the tape because you know like you said getting distribution i think was hard and and they're not going to be film quality that you can put on a dvd uh <laughs> you know or it's not going to look any better uh probably but um yeah and, i have a lot of people ask me well why don't you put these out on blu-ray you know and right. and it's like well i don't put them out on blu-ray because they're sd movies i mean <laughs> you know like what's the point of putting it on blu-ray like sure i could maybe like a slightly better because you got a better encoding rate sure. but ultimately like there's no point in it there's really no point you know <laughs> then you have to upscale a movie and it just looks shittier and it's just you know my whole thing is i want to present these movies the best way we can present them you know yeah, and I, I think you accomplish that a lot, especially like Mr. Ice Cream Man. Um it looks beautiful. It it, so it looked beautiful. it it looked like something and and I hope you don't mind me saying this, it looked like a release from Full Moon, you know, or <laughs> or you know, along that lines or or trauma, you know, an original trauma, not acquired trauma. Um film as far as the quality with the graphics and, and even the the production, the way it was edited and everything. I was like Wow, this could this could have been a troll, you know, this could have been a full moon, early classic full moon picture. When it's shot very well, it's shot on Digibeta, which mm-hmm. is a very high-end video format. So, you know, and we were able to get the original master for the movie, the original Digibeta, oh, nice. and did a whole new, you know, remaster on the film as well as a soundtrack. You know, a funny story about that movie, and not a lot of horror fans know this. I still see it all the time because not many people even are aware that we've put out the DVD and I see all the time on Facebook and like VHS groups, people go, Oh, look, I got a copy of Mr. Ice cream, man. And then we go, this movie really sucks because there's no music in it. And one of the funny things is when it was originally put out on VHS by a company uh, called dead alive, mm-hmm. uh, they're probably most known for putting out the traces of deaf movies as well as uh, Peter Jackson's meet the feebles and uh, dead alive originally released it, but they screwed up when they released it and they didn't, have the audio the the special the sound. Effects, the sound effects and the music track on the <laughs> tape so when you watch mr ice cream man on vhs it's missing all of that wow and I mean, you can imagine a movie just you cut up music out of any movie i don't care what movie it is and it just makes it boring you know it kind of takes away from it so uh you know some people who've, who've gotten to see the release go wow like this movie's really great now that it has music you know <laughs> 
I think a few people thought we just added the music in and right. it's like, no, the, the music existed. It was just a screw up on Dead Alive's, you know, part when it first came out. Yeah, because some of those shots in Mr. Ice Cream Man where you've got not a lot going on. It's just like you get the one shot with the camera in the in the in the girl's apartment, you know, where she's uh, just scantily clad. And without the music, that's just that's just weird. <laughs> it would just be like awkward. It's just like, oh, OK. Well, yeah. like I said, the sound effects are missing, too. Right. So like even anything that's voiceover or anything that's dubbed in over words, like the very end of the movie. And I don't want to give it away for, for people who maybe haven't seen it, but I know you've seen it. The yeah. very end of the movie where it's kind of him as yeah. a little boy, I'll just say that, none of that dialogue is in there. Oh. <laughs> so it makes no sense at the end of the movie. You're like, what the hell just happened? I have no idea, you know? <laughs> so, uh, you know, and that's really one thing that also kind of sucks. And I think one thing that I've tried to set us apart from other things is we're not just pushing these things out to, right. you know, push out product, you know? I'm, we really kind of strive at putting out the best quality product we can do. I mean, just even today, I just got an email from one of our filmmakers. You know, I sent him the movies and I said, please, I need you to approve this. You know? And it's right. like, I always ask for the directors to approve the prints for the most parts. And, you know, I want everyone to be happy with the release. And, you know, because these movies deserve respect. You know, you mm -hmm. see other companies put out shot on video stuff and they're like, oh, we'll throw a trailer or something on it. And that's it. Maybe a commentary, you know, but, but, a lot of them won't even do that. You know, mm. they'll just kind of put out a bare bones kind of release and, and not really care. And to me, half the fun of these movies is not only the movies themselves, but the making of the movies and the stories behind the making of these films. And because these guys are true innovators. I mean, these, right. these guys who were, you know, like nowadays, like you said, it's so easy. Anyone just, you know, grab your phone, make a movie, <laughs> you know. But back then, you know, it, it took a lot of work. And, and, and these guys were truly ahead of the game, so to speak. And, uh, you know, it's, I mean, so much amazing work out there. So much amazing yeah. work. I mean, especially Spirit Gallery. Spirit Gallery. I'm watching Spirit Gallery, and I'm like, there's this whole wall of art in this in this film. And I'm like, that's real. That's not like digital compositor. That's an actual art piece. I'm like, where the hell did that, they find that? <laughs> you know, and they're shooting in this huge warehouse with an actual you know, uh, a crane and, yeah. <laughs> and, and I'm like sitting there going, wow. I mean, they, they, they thought this out, you know, this isn't just some, Hey, let's make a home video. You know, these guys are, are putting forth the effort and that one, especially it gets surreal and they get their idea across with very little. I yep. mean, you know, I, I, they, you can tell they saved their budget for the end. And again, I don't want to spoil it necessarily for that, for our, our listeners either, but you can tell that's where the that's where anybody really went was truly the end of the film, the big climax of it. But yeah, I mean, multiple locations and such, mm -hmm. and it great production value in that film. Yeah, yeah, and well, and that's the thing is the the production value isn't horrible by any means, and I I think that's part to your work is is you know you're not just taking a VHS that you found in the basement, tossing right. it, you know. <laughs> capturing video capturing on your uh computer and going into you know my iMovie and just okay create a menu and chapter and there you go i mean you can tell there's care taken into these and that's what i really appreciate with what you're doing there because i think this stuff needs to be curated 
it, mm-hmm. it, it, it's all about preserving i mean preserving these films for future generations and I mean, you know, we always try to get the best source we can. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, there's been times where like a VHS is the only copy that we can <laughs> or even, you know, a bad DVD, you know, yeah. from the filmmaker, you know, there's been a few cases like that. But for the most part, like we always, you know, we're trying to get the master tapes, you know, sure. and I usually put like a warning on those ones that are kind of the lower quality, like, hey, this is as good as we could get, folks, you know, because that is a sad thing. You know, some of these filmmakers like uh, we released a, a line of. Uh, by a company called Warlock Home Video, mm-hmm. which was a newer company uh, run by Chris Seaver, who used to run Low Budget Pictures, and he kind of started this in the in the kind of uh, I'd say around 2010 or so, 2011, and it was kind of a throwback to his shot on video roots. He started as a early SOV teenage filmmaker as well, but you know around 2010, that's when you started seeing Camp Motion Pictures pop up. You started seeing all these other companies releasing shot on video movies, so they kind of you know, had a bit of a resurgence around that time. And uh, so he kind of started this line that was like this throwback. And, you know, but someone like Chris Seaver, he didn't keep the masters, you know, <laughs> all he kept was a DVD copy. And that's all he kept. He got rid of his masters, you know. And so sometimes you're just stuck with like, hey, that's the best we can get. But I love those damn movies. I really wanted to put them out. And, you know, the fans, the fans love them too, you know. So, but it's definitely always about, yeah, doing the best, product we can i mean we always try to go back to master taste when we can and it's expensive you know it's yeah. not it's not cheap to always go to a lab and, and pay for all this to be done and then you know thankfully you know i work in the in the film industry you know i work uh, currently i work for rift tracks oh, and nice. uh, so you know i i know how to do all this stuff i know how to do <laughs> color correction. i know how to do you know sound restoration all this stuff i do it every day for my job so sure. you know it's uh Thankfully, I, I don't have to pay someone to do all that because if I did, I don't even think I'd be able to afford to, to do this company. You, know? you, you couldn't afford yourself is what you're yeah. saying. <laughs> <laughs> really, not, no. It's always good to be in that place. You know what? I, I couldn't I couldn't pay me if I had to pick me to do this. But, right. but it's good that you got a passion for that and you're not just cranking it out to get on the shot on video craze, which, you know... It, I think it's because technology too and the internet in a way is a good place as well for people to start discovering like, you know, your site, sovhorror.com and just finding these obscure things in general when you're, I know I've done it to where you go to a Facebook site, a horror site, and you're just scrolling through and all of a sudden someone will say, Hey, have you seen this? And they'll show the poster that you're like, I didn't even know that existed. And then you write it down and you go seek it out. And yeah, it was, it, it's a fun movie. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah. Cause uh, you, you mentioned the work you do at uh, your day job. You've gotten to work on some really cool films, but you also got to work with indie stuff uh, like Todd sheets. You did uh dreaming purple neon, which I watched a while back and I dug it quite a bit. Um, you know, how'd you get involved with, uh, with that film? Did they come to you or? Yeah, so uh, with with Todd, uh, you know, I think, you know, we I, I, I go back with Todd. I've known Todd since, I don't know, probably around like 2000 and early 2000s. We first started talking in it just as a fan, you know, as a sure. fan. And, uh, and I was talking to him about being part of my web series and all that stuff. And I'd mentioned to him, hey, you know, I do visual effects as well. So if you ever need any visual effects work, let me know. 
because that's you know while i was working on these big hollywood movies you know like transformers and man of steel and stuff like that which i absolutely hated working on honestly <laughs> but it did pay the bills so you yeah know. but you know, I was working on the side for Todd Sheets mm -hmm. and Tim Ritter and Chris Seaver and all these guys who work that I, I grew up like idolizing these guys. I mean, right. guys like Tim Ritter and Todd Sheets, these are the reason I wanted to make movies. You know, when I first discovered shot on video movies, and I think one of the things I really love about it is not only are they fun, great movies, but they're really inspirational to, you know, to a whole generation and even the new generations. You know, I'm mm -hmm. about to release a movie pretty soon called I Was a Teenage Gorehound which is made by all teenage filmmakers nice. and it's a blast. It's a total blast. And I mean, these guys are like 14, 15 years old, you know, and, and they, they were inspired by Todd Sheets and Tim Ritter and these guys as well, you know? So, you know, it, it continues that cycle. And I think there's just something about that DIY SOV kind of attitude, kind of that punk rock attitude that just really, inspires people and makes people go like hey maybe i can do this too maybe this you know is a realistic thing i can do and so so i kind of jumped off tangent there no but, uh, no you know, that's fine so but but eventually yeah you know me and todd became friends i'd offered to to you know anytime you need something just let me sure. know and uh what was the first one i did for him i think the first movie i worked on with him was a uh, house of forbidden secrets oh okay sure yeah with some effects mm -hmm. for that one and yeah did 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 some for dreaming purple neon as well i think there was might have been another one i worked on too you know i work on a lot of these sometimes <laughs> <laughs> uh, nothing wrong with that you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know um and i know with the internet you know everybody talks about piracy and that but for us i mean you you could relate for a while, some of these videos that crop up on YouTube, that's the only place you can find it. It's like you're at a con and you've got that bootleg tape that somebody <laughs> is selling at their table for an astronomical amount. But you buy it because it's made by someone, you know, you know, a, a name you recognize, but you never heard of it. And so, it, like you said, it's number generations. And we kind of got that with YouTube now. And, and I, I'm glad that there's a slow appreciation for it and. I think you touched on it. It's the do-it-yourself stuff. One of the things that you see in the you, you know movie Twitter or film Twitter or whatever is more and more, it seems like a, a, we've got a group of fans who are growing up going, I'm tired of the same thing from Hollywood because Hollywood plays it safe because it's all about money. And then they discover stuff like you've got at SOV Horror, you know, to where they're like, wow, these guys didn't care about making money. They just shot a film. And... I, I loved that spirit, you know. Uh, now with Zombarellas, uh, was some of that stuff you shot uh, earlier, or did you shoot all new stuff? Because you mentioned that you worked with uh, uh, Tim Ritter on that, which uh, you know I really enjoyed. Uh, a kind of an indie uh, Amazon Women on the Moon type of <laughs> feel to it. But uh, was uh, any of that shot new, or was that all uh, uh, older footage that you pieced together? So uh, some of the stuff was new. Most of it was pretty old stuff, mm -hmm. though. Um, originally, the, the way that movie kind of came about was I had directed multiple shorts for anthologies and, and various sure. movies. You know, I, I did a short for Frames of Fear, uh, which was put out by Brad Twig. I did um, one for Todd Sheets for in Sleepless Nights, um, Grindsploitation. I mean, a bunch of just a high eight horror independent eight. You know, I made all these shorts 
and they're kind of all over the place. And, you know, I, I have like a lot of these other filmmakers, I have kind of a small cast and crew that I'd repeatedly work with. I mean, really, it's just my friends, honestly. I mean, no one's professional. I mean, I'd be the closest and I wouldn't even consider myself a professional. But, you know, so me and my friends, and I thought, wouldn't it be cool to just kind of put all this stuff together to, to have a nice copy for me and my friends? You know, that really was the initial thought with Zombrella's House of Horrors. And so I started kind of putting this thing together and I came up with the, you know, hey, I should maybe to link it all together, I'll make it like a late night kind of cable show, like USA Up All Night, which was like a very big to me as a kid. I mean, that's one of the shows that really got me into B movies and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, so it, it kind of really just started as a project, not even a re like release or anything, just really to share with my friends. And uh, as I started working on it more, I started going, well, wait, maybe, maybe I can do something with this. And uh, unfortunately, I had to pull one of the shorts I wanted to put in it because I couldn't license it. And uh, I'll tell young filmmakers a side note, be careful when you license out your movies or sell your movies. Always try to retain your rights if you can. Uh, <laughs> that's, uh, you know, I learned that one the hard way. But anyways, uh, so I was one short short and I, and I didn't know what to do. And, and so I was, you know, it's good friends with Tim Ritter. And I'm like, hey, Tim, would you would you be interested in maybe doing a short for this? And Tim was like, yeah, totally. I, I'd love to do one. And, you know, and and uh, so, you know, that's how Tim kind of got involved. And uh, as far as like the commercials and all the old archival footage, like a lot of the commercials and that stuff, that was all like recuts of old shorts I'd done as like a, a younger guy. You know, like uh, I think Backwood Snuff Party Massacre used to be called Flint Springs Machete Massacre and was like a terrible short. You know, uh, the drug PSAs, those were from little short films or music videos I'd cut back in the day. And so I just repurposed all this stuff to make these commercials for that film. And then we did shoot, the only new stuff we really shot was uh, the 1-900 sex ads. Uh, I got together with one of my actresses and shot all that stuff new. And uh, all Tim's stuff was new as well. So he also did some commercials and stuff like that. So Yeah, <laughs> the 1-900 commercial. If you're a fan of uh, up all, USA Up All Night, you, you, you're you familiar with those types of commercials. Oh, like, oh they played, yeah. <laughs> those are the psychic, you know, ads. You, you stay it up late to watch, you know, that stuff, especially on, you know, early cable uh, channels or even local indie you know local independent after yep. 11 o'clock you'd get those uh some of them i remember wouldn't be like blatant and you do this in uh, zabarella which i appreciated some of them aren't like blatant sexual but you know they are but they aren't just the party line you, <laughs> you know, joined the party line for you know only 800 dollars the first minute and do right. it <laughs> And we did we did a sequel to that uh, called Natasha Nighty's Boudoir Blood that mm. uh, we just released a few months ago, and uh, mainly on that one I just produced. Uh, it has one of my shorts, but it also has a short from uh, Ron Ford and uh, Jeff Kirkendall, who are both veteran SOV filmmakers themselves. And with that one, though, we try to, you know, we learn from our mistakes in Zombrella. You know, I, I took the feedback from Zombrella. Some people said the commercials are too long and mm. stuff like that. So I really kind of tightened up the commercial breaks, tightened up the lengths of the commercials. And I think we really nailed, like, Natasha Knighty's Boudoir Blood, we completely nailed that aesthetic. And I was so nice. happy about that. But the funny thing I wanted to do, so the shorts in Zombrella, as, as you know, like, 
there's tons of nudity. <laughs> like there's lots of what? nudity. No, really? I had noted. <laughs> You know, and, and so and when when we went to particular Natasha Nighties, uh, there was really no nudity in the shorts. Mm. And you know, being being a, a smart producer, I'm like, well, what can I do to get nudity in this? Okay, well, I'll have, for, first off, I'll have a stripping horror hostess. So we made our horror hostess a stripper, and uh, I think it's the first time there's been a stripping horror hostess. <laughs> and uh, but the other thought was. In you know in Zombarella we we kept it pretty tame for those right. one nine hundred ads. So Natasha Nighty we went over the top with the one nine hundred ads. So there's nudity <laughs> in them and there's lots of really bad puns and you know we kind of so I mean it, it wouldn't be like what you would really see on TV, but it totally has that mood and that aesthetic, and I think we really nailed it a lot on the sequel. Hey, skin to win is what they say, right? <laughs> Yeah, I I I got a kick out. Of it. I what I actually liked even more than the one nine hundred number uh, commercials were uh, the the singles ad commercials. <laughs> Those were really great because <laughs> you just seem to just pick just regular people, but they're, they're trying to sell it. Like, you know, the models would on, on those ads. And, uh, now did you shoot those segments with actual video cameras or did you shoot it with uh, more modern equipment and then, uh, apply the aesthetic later? Yeah. So all of my stuff was either shot on high eight or mm. a mini DV. So I was still using my old antiquated. I mean, I still, I still don't shoot in HD. I've never shot a movie in HD yet. <laughs> uh, I just kind of prefer the aesthetic of SOV and 720 by 480 opposed to 1920 by 1080. Um, but Tim, I know Tim shot his stuff on, I believe, a, a newer camera, some of it. I, I think he used a couple different cameras for, for his segments. He was actually the one who did those uh, Datamate ads, which were a lot of fun. I had to cut them down a little bit because they were kind of long. But uh, yeah, it, and, and we brought the data mates back in Natasha 90. So we we, oh, nice. we got four of those in there. And we even brought back, I don't know if you recall, Tim actually played one of the data mate characters named Eugene yeah. in uh, Zombarella. And unfortunately, Tim was really busy and, and couldn't really be a part much of the Natasha 90. But I begged him, I'm like, Tim, I, you need to come back as Eugene. We need Eugene to come back. So we got some more data made ads and Tim comes back as Eugene in that one, which is a lot of fun. Nice. Yeah. I, I love the Eugene segment. Uh, <laughs> th those are very entertaining. Now, uh, are there, have there been films that you've really wanted to get so far, but you just couldn't, you mentioned your short with the licensing, but are there a few others out there that you would think maybe that these filmmakers, especially if it's a 20 some year old film, they would want to get it out. But have there been any films that you just you haven't been able to quite seal the deal yet, but you'd love to? I have a giant list. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> I have a very large list of movies I'd love to release. Mm. I mean, part of the problem a lot of the times is, you know, a lot of these movies were produced in the 80s, early 90s. And, you know, that's 30, 40 years ago now. I mean, and a lot of these people, unfortunately, are starting to pass away. They're starting to disappear. And, uh, you know, so finding these people is hard enough. And, and then once you find them too, you got to, you know, make a deal for the rights. And, you know, we're a very small company. We don't sell a ton of copies, you know, we're, we're pretty much do everything ourselves. So it's not like I can pay them, you know, here's $10,000 to license your movie, you know? And so, you know, 
like for the most part i've been very lucky in pretty much just about everything that i have like Mm -hmm. everyone i've actually spoke to and tried to make deals with has all has panned out um but there's definitely a huge list of movies i'd love to release um Mm -hmm. You know, and I I, I don't want to give away titles. No, no, no. That you don't want to put anybody in the spot. No, I get you. I don't want to ruin your chances, maybe in the future. So no, I. <laughs> but I'm still always, yeah, always trying to look for for new cool stuff to to release, and and you know, I, I have a huge laundry list of of movies I just love to get out there because ultimately it is about getting these out to fans. You know, yeah. A lot of these movies, unfortunately, were very overlooked and and you know not well distributed. So it's you know. For a lot of people, they're seeing these things for the first time, you know, when we put them out. So, well, I mean, we, we and uh, you've met you growing up in the 80s, uh, so not asking your age, but you, you, you're you probably a similar generation to me, Gen X. Woohoo. Uh, but uh, <laughs> we've seen the rise and fall of the video store, and it's interesting. I worked uh, at a video store, yeah. <laughs> you worked at a video, I, I lived at a video store pretty much. Um, <laughs> But I remember the mom and pop video stores and we joked about it on our show, you know, when you could rent them at a gas station, you just go to a gas station, yep. boom, you'd, you know, everywhere you'd have, yeah, everywhere. but like you mentioned, you'd get these rare gems at those stores because they were just looking for something to put on their shelf so they could get in on the VHS hype. And then I, and I wanted your opinion. Do you think maybe the rise of the chain video store kind of uh uh pushed out many many some of these shot on video horror films because then they were just filling like blockbuster 100 200 copies of you know batman returns or batman forever and so maybe one copy maybe of a trauma video in the back corner (laughs) Yeah, you know, the, the interesting thing about kind of the mom and pops versus the corporate stores was the mom and pops, you know, they were run by just average Joes, you know, and like you said, they were just looking for product that they thought their customers would enjoy. And what a lot of these companies that used to specialize in shot on video movies, companies like Tempe Entertainment, Cinema Home Video, you know, these these early kind of SOV dis- distribution agencies, they would literally cold call video stores. That's how they would sell these movies to them. They literally, you know, people like Tim Ritter and, and Joel D. Weinkoop, they would literally drive to a video store and try to sell them their movies to put on the shelves. I mean, mm-hmm. and that's how these guys got their movies in a lot of video stores. And, but like you said, once, you know, the rise of like Blockbuster and Hollywood video and the other chain video stores, you know, having like, yeah, two two thousand copies of you know Batman, but uh, you know you, 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 you the only time you really saw like the the mom the SOV stuff or stuff like that it was is extremely rare and it was typically because the stories I've heard is stores like Blockbuster would move into a neighborhood pretty much put out the mom and pops out of business and then offer to buy their stock yeah at a reduced rate so they go we'll buy your stock off of you and then they would just get those tapes and, and throw them in their various stores you know in their various blockbuster stores and so that's how you would end up with movies like lunch meat or you know a cannibal camp out at blockbuster i mean it's it's pretty rare though you know but every so often though you would get you know, a, a great story, one of my favorite SOV success stories, and it's probably one of the most successful SOV movies that people don't even realize it was one of the most successful is uh, the Polonia Brothers movies, Feeders. Okay. And what happened with that film 
was Independence Day had, had was about to come out on on, on VHS, and you, I, I I'm sure you remember that time. Like that movie was freaking huge. Oh yeah, that was like just really massive. big blockbuster. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm sure Blockbuster Video probably had five thousand copies of that in every store. But uh, they were looking for alien clone type movies, mm-hmm. you know, to 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 supplement their their rentals with, and you know they got their hands on feeders, and it was the right movie at the right time. And what do you know, Blockbuster ordered tons of units and that movie ended up in just about every freaking blockbuster i mean and i'm sure a lot of people they rented that movie and then what the hell is this it's just shot on video you know the the things you always hear people say oh this is crap it's shot on video you know and i'm sure a lot of people were probably upset but then there's guys like me and other guys who are like wow this is awesome yeah. like brothers are is in this video in blockbuster this is great you know yeah i was always like that in blockbuster you know i i you walk past the horror. It was usually the horror genre. You you get some indie comedies and that, but usually those were just older Hollywood titles. But then you'd get into the horror, and then you'd get you'd get you'd occasionally look. It'd be near the bottom rack or whatever. You'd be like, what? You know, like I remember first seeing "I Spit on Your Grave." Right. <laughs> uh, you know, they actually at the blockbuster I had, they had it, but it was like on the lower shelf in about, you know, <laughs> kind of off in the corner. But I remember seeing the box art, which we've talked in the past about, you know, how box art sold some of these movies because the box art was far better than maybe the movie was. Oh, but, sure, yeah. <laughs> but it catch your eye as you're walking down the aisle, especially in blockbuster. But yeah, I remember that the horror section was always very very uh, a lot varied from blockbuster to blockbuster and maybe it was right. because what you were saying is you had the indie guys or whatever trying to sell it to individual stores because they couldn't get a contract with the company mm-hmm. um the only one which uh i've always felt kind of had the indie films to heart and it's maybe why they lasted the longest until now may they rest their physical stores rest in peace family video in fact, I just bought one of their shelves from, well, not nice. bought. They they were giving it away. They said, if you can haul it away, it's yours. And I'm like, uh-huh. okay. So I've got, I've got a family. Yeah, that's awesome. I tried to get two, but but the wife, you know, sure. I, I had to negotiate for the one shelf. She's like, right. where, where are you going to put it? And I'm like, valid point. Uh, but family videos seem to always embrace the indie stuff almost as much as the wide release stuff. And they would put it amongst the wide release popular titles, you know, and and maybe right. that's why they lasted a little bit longer was because they're putting stuff out that some of it was shot on video or asylum pictures who really are the spirit of shot on video. I think the difference is too, is, is one thing I don't think a lot of younger people, you know, you're seeing a lot of, I've been seeing a lot of nostalgia for Blockbuster lately. You know, I think there's some movie about it that came out recently and you're seeing all these people having nostalgia for Blockbuster. And I'm like, why do you have nostalgia for Blockbuster? It's the worst freaking chain ever. It pretty much killed the video boom. I mean, it killed all these mom and pop businesses. And what people tend to forget is Blockbuster did not want to carry movies that were unrated or NC-17. Mm-hmm. You know, like they would get the rated versions of these movies. Companies had to make rated versions for Blockbuster, you know, right. because otherwise, you know, Blockbuster is not going to carry the unrated Toxic Avenger. They only want the R-rated Toxic Avenger, you know, and if they even take Toxic Avenger. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it's, it, and it's you know, so, so I think the difference is these mom and pop stores, they knew what their audiences want. Right. You know, at a mom and pop store, 
these guys, this is their business. They talk to their customers. They get to know their customers. And as horror fans, let's face it, we love blood. We love boobs. We love monsters, you know, blood, boobs, and beasts, as they say. And, uh, you know, so, of course, they're going to get I Spit on Your Grave and Gates of Hell and all these unrated horror films that us fans really want to see, where Blockbuster, you know, being a big kind of corporate you know, thing, a corporate conglomerate, they want to stay clear from that type of content. And so really wouldn't carry much of that content, except for when it accidentally, you know, like I said, because they liquidated from yeah. other stores, maybe they ended up with a copy, you know, of an unrated movie every so often on their shelf. But for the most part, you were renting the, the rated R versions, which was always, it was always a bummer, you know, especially <laughs> afterwards when you find out like, oh, there's an unrated version? <laughs> I mean, I remember the first time seeing Dead Alive, you know, oh, yeah. the movie. I saw the R-rated version and I didn't like the movie at all. I thought, this movie's freaking terrible. I don't like this. You know, this isn't very good. And then, and, and, and you know, I had some friends, like, what are you talking about? That movie's so great, you know? And then mm. I saw the unrated kind of went, oh my God, this movie's amazing. You know? <laughs> and it goes to show with these censored movie, what happens to these yeah. films when you censor them, you pretty much you're pretty much cutting off the artist's dick, you know, pretty much is probably the best way to put it. You know, you're, you're cutting off half their paintbrush, you know, you're, you're, you're destroying their vision. And, you know, so well, I, I say blockbuster rest in hell. <laughs> well, and I, gone. <laughs> well, and I think that, uh, uh, that may have attributed to some people's perception of shot on video equaling bad because some of those censored R rated versions, you look at those, they've been so cut up, they make no sense. And then when you watch the unrated versions, people are like, oh, you just want to see the blood and boobs and that. I'm like, sure, there's that element, but you're getting the actual story the way it was originally pieced together. So, you know, I've watched some films where there are just whole scenes missing, and you're like, that scene's back in there, and you're like, well, now that makes a hell of a lot more sense. And the mom and pop stuff, I, I kind of had it here, but we live in a smaller city. Uh, it's still like a small town, even though we're called a city. Uh, the Hollywood video here, I, I actually made a couple of good friends at Hollywood video because I lived there. I, I kept going there. Uh, but for most part, mom and pop stores were like your local comic book store for video heads in many ways. Because you yep. come in, and especially if it was your neighborhood one, they knew you. Like when I was when I was a high school teenager, even into college, when I'd go back home to Milwaukee, uh, there was Nord Video Outlet in Milwaukee, uh, which was just a small chain, but it was all owned by the same people, and they just they got independent stuff and that you know, and those guys knew me by first name, and you come in and it was almost like norm. It's like, hey, how you doing? <laughs> you know, and Best Buy, you know, I mean Blockbuster and Hollywood Video, and especially Milwaukee, you didn't really get that feel for it you know uh if you if you don't mind i i share a story of uh, my dad got me into movies movies were a big part of my family it, that, that was our family thing was to go to movies and right. i'm sure you being a child of the 80s we went to movies that i probably should have never seen at the age that i saw them. <laughs> for sure <laughs> but uh, we would go to a video store like there was this one video store we went to and the guy, it was kind of like a deal. He's like, hey, you guys come in here. here. I got the promotional copy. You don't even don't pay for it. Here you go. And so that's how I saw Dolph Lundgren's Punisher was. Nice. <laughs> it was one of the screener copies that they actually received. And since we were regulars, they just kind of slid it. Our <laughs> mm -hmm. 
you know uh, did you have that for your video store as well did you kind of be get known at you know becoming the regular at the store oh for sure at all these stores i mean yeah. they knew me very well because you know i'd be like i said my mom would have to drive me to these places sure. i mean and and all around san diego i mean literally at one point i probably had 10 video memberships because <laughs> you know i'd watch all the horror movies at this one so i'd have to go to a different one i have to go to the next one and you know because i was always looking for the most craziest weird stuff especially as a child it was mm -hmm. like you know, I wanted the most craziest of the crazy and, and, and weird kind of uh, cinema was what I was really into. And uh, but, yeah, you get to know these people and, yeah, they get to know you. And, uh, you know, sadly, we you know, we just lost one of our last mom and pop video, our last mom and pop video store in mm. San Diego. It was like a staple out here, a place called Kensington Video. And it was like my favorite video store ever. And this place, I mean, they had everything that's. That's what I loved about some of these mom and pop stores is they were ran by cinephiles. I mean, the guy mm -hmm. who, who run it, actually, his name was Guy, Guy Hanford. And uh, this guy's the biggest cinephile. I mean, you know, and you could sit there and you could talk to him about any genre of film mm -hmm. and just, you know, you could sit there and like talk for a half an hour and then you go like, oh, crap, I got to leave. Like, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> and, and that's what was so great is, yeah, you know, they get to know you, they get to know what you like, you know, so it's like, hey, I just got this and I think you might really like this one. And or, hey, you know, I got this old promotional standee I don't want anymore. Do you want it? You know, and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, it's it's, it's it's so great kind of growing up in that era. And it, it's it's I know a lot of people have nostalgia for it now. And I think the younger kids, you know. They definitely missed out on that era and i th i think that's why we see vhs is so big mm -hmm. especially you know it's at first it was kind of shocking to me that it was really big with people who weren't really around when VHS. <laughs> right was, yeah i mean yeah. How, how are they going to yeah. even find a machine for it right you know and and, and <laughs> i mean because like literally you got kids who are like 18 19 years old collecting vhs and you're like literally the video stores are gone by the time yeah. you were even born like you know, and maybe maybe their parents still had tapes and they grew up watching some tapes and stuff. But, um, you know, but I think what it is and it's the same thing, I think, with vinyl with a lot of people who are running around in the vinyl yeah, days. I've, I've got is it's, tons of vinyl. <laughs> same here. <laughs> and it's I think it's this kind of thing, you know, where it's like it's different. It's unique. Mm. It's not the corporate spoon fed crap. You know, it's not you know, that's a great thing about VHS. And, 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 you know, even just filmmaking today, one of the things I like is it has been democratized more where, you know, exactly. You can have that Polonia Brothers movie right next to you can have feeders right next to Independence Day at the video store, mm -hmm. you know, and it's democratized. And you know what? Whichever one has a better box art is probably what you're going to rent that <laughs> night. You know, Going back to that box art conversation. So, you know, it kind of really. You know, it was, it, was a, it was a wild west. And I think, uh, you know, uh, people who weren't part of that generation are attracted to it because of its, you know, its uniqueness in that yeah. in that regard. Yeah, definitely the uniqueness, its own identity. Uh, I know with my kids, because I've got I've got a 20 and an 18 year old um, and they're big on a, a kind of anti not anti-establishment, but definitely the corporate shield you know, cookie cutter stuff, mm -hmm. a lot of the, their generation, their friends in that are seeking out different stuff than that. They, they don't want that commercial eye stuff. They're looking for the unique stuff, like what you carry, you know, I mean, you, you, mm -hmm. and I think the internet helps with that now sure. because they'll find someone 
And I've had this happen to where I'll mention a movie in a group and suddenly you just get this explosive thread of people going, oh, I know that film or whatever, you know, but no one's talked about it before. But then to mention the title and suddenly everybody comes out of the woodwork that, oh, yeah, I know video violence. Oh, you know. I know. <laughs> so, I mean, what if, I, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I, I was just saying that's what I think is nice is that I think part of it is this generation can find groups of people that actually appreciate this stuff and don't just dog on it because it's real easy to dog on it. I mean, sure. Yeah. And, and that is a big group of the people too. You know, you do have a large group of people. I see it all the time. And honestly, it makes me kind of sick. I see these collectors who collect rare shot on video movies. And I mean, for people listening, I don't, you know, I don't know how familiar everyone is with the genre itself, but these tapes now sell for hundreds of dollars. I mean, they're not cheap. I mean, it's not unheard of for people to pay $400 for a freaking VHS tape of, you know, splatter farm or something. (laughs) And, uh, you know, it's, it's, I, I see people and they're like, yeah, I got this movie. Look what I got. Ha ha ha. And, oh, it's such a piece of shit. I'm not even going to open it or watch it, you know? And it's just like, it's more, they have it for bragging rights right. or, you know, it's that typical, my dick is bigger than your, kind of, you know, <laughs> aesthetic, which is kind of sad. You know, I, I feel like, why would you collect something if you don't like it? Yeah. It doesn't make any sense to me. You know, I, I collect things because I like them, you know? I mean, most of the tapes you see behind me are movies I actually like. You know, <laughs> it's not like this. Oh, this is a piece of shit, but I'm going to keep this. You know, it's. I got I got many of those in my collection as well. Uh, I I unfortunately my beta machine. I got to get a different beta machine. I've got a beta. I used to have a beta wow. machine and a lot of beta tapes I got from someone. And I've got Night of the Comet on beta. Uh, nice. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, but yeah, it. it it's one of those things where, okay, you don't like it. I, I'm with you. Don't buy it. Leave it yeah. for someone who's, for go- who's going to enjoy it, you know? Yeah. And for a lot of us, we recognize tape degradation and that. So a lot of our VHS stuff, we have the physical copy, but we've digitized just to save that film uh, because, yeah. you know, you know, I've got laser discs too. That's a whole nother realm of, <laughs> you know, collection. I've got, I've probably got two dozen laser discs and a few of them have disc degradation. I've got Jurassic Park. And let me tell you, it THX on a laser disc actually sounds just as good as your THX <laughs> DVD. But unfortunately, the image on it, it's got a little spotty, you know, so. Yeah, I, I never understood that. I'm going to collect this because I hate it. It's yeah, like... it's really weird. And, and there is a unfortunately, it seems like there's a lot of shot on video mm-hmm. uh, collectors who are kind of like that. It's more like, oh, I just got it because it's a rare tape. You know, I think that's really what it comes down to. You know, it's like, oh, I got it. So you know, bragging rights, and I can say it's a rare tape. So I, I have to ask. I hope you don't mind, uh, but I'm just wondering because of the genre and sometimes the material and the subject matter of the genre. Do you get hate mail occasionally out of nowhere for some of the stuff that, that you put out? <laughs> you know, we've the really cool. What I really like about channel video fans uh, is, you know, is people are really into this genre or right. into this genre. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not a lot of casual shot on video fans. I think a lot of people, <laughs> who are into it or like really into it, you know? And, and so far I've been very lucky and I've gotten nothing but pretty much positive feedback. I mean, uh, you know, every so often you'll get someone who, uh, you know, I've had a few people complain because our discs are DVDRs, 
Right. I mean, I will say yeah. that. And I've had people complain about, you know, our discs being DVDRs, but you know, they don't understand how much it costs to even do all this. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I literally couldn't, I mean, we've put out 30 movies now. I just finished my 30th release actually this week. Nice. And, uh, it's not out yet. It'll be coming out soon. But, you know, I've finished, we've only been in operation for two years. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's a lot of work, you know. And it's like, <laughs> I wouldn't have been able to put out this much stuff if we were doing press discs. There's just right. no way we can do it, you know. And and being someone who actually knows about formats and knows about all this stuff, really, DVDRs aren't that much worse than no. DVDs. I mean, the only thing is they don't play in some very ancient players. And if you're rocking one of those players you probably need a new one anyway you know i mean <laughs> truth truth uh so yeah shot uh, sovhorror.com is the site uh what uh, what are uh things coming up that we can uh, tell our listeners about get them excited for what do you got coming up uh, on the site yeah so um we uh next month we have two double features coming out we we started a line uh we put out the first one in january of this year and uh, it's it's a new line we're doing called the SOV Drive-In. Nice. And I'm really excited about this line because, you know, other than shot on video movies, another thing that I have a huge passion for is drive-in. drive-in. I, love, I love drive-in cinema. You know, I grew up going to the drive-in all the time as a kid. And I just loved watching all the intermission ads mm-hmm. and, and, and all that type of stuff. And so I said, why don't I put those two together? Why don't I mix my love for shot on video movies and drive-ins and kind of make, you know, like a drive-in double feature of shot on video movies. And so we did our first volume in January, which was uh, two movies by Joe Sherlock. We did Crimson Heather and Lust of the Vampire Hookers. And uh, next month we have two more coming out from him, uh, which is uh, Monster in the Garage with Zombie Love Slave and uh dimension of blood what we need earth women so um <laughs> and i mean i, I, I just love the titles, titles. I, I, yeah. these movies were made for sov driving they're so they're they're the perfect fit and uh they're such fun packages i mean they were a blast putting together there's a lot of work honestly mm-hmm. a ton of work went into putting these ones together uh we did a lot of work on these releases and i think they're just a blast i mean and it's probably be a good, you know, gateway drug for people, you know, who aren't necessarily into shot on video stuff, but maybe are kind of into that drive in aesthetic and all that. You know, I think these movies are the perfect kind of mix of humor and horror that, um, you know, really goes well with that aesthetic. And mm-hmm. I think uh, fans will really dig it. Awesome. Awesome. So SOVHorror.com is where you can go. Uh, license to shill, sir. I'm giving you the license to shill. Anything else that you want to plug, go ahead. Uh, do you have podcasts, whatever? The floor is yours. Uh, let folks know where they can find your stuff at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, SOVHorror.com is our main site. And and just to mention, we are not just the DVD label. The site originally started as just a shot on video fan site to host uh, the web series SOV The True Independence which I still do episodes of that when I have time. Unfortunately, I don't have a lot of time to do those much lately, but I do do videos. Um, We also have podcasts. We have reviews of movies up there, articles. I mean, you know, I try to just put as much shot on video content as we can up there. You know, we're not like other companies where we're not going to help promote other companies' releases. You know, if if Sub Rose is putting out something cool, let people know, you know, we, we, we try to share the SOV love, so to speak, because, you know, we're all in this together, you know, people who love these micro budget cinema. So yeah, you know, even if you're not interested in checking out any of our movies, I highly recommend at least checking out our web series, SOV, the true independence, because it's really neat. Like I said, hearing the stories behind these movies 
And I think it's, it's, this is stuff that's really important. I mean, that's why I started this in the first place is I wanted to preserve the history because as they say, if you don't preserve the history, it's going to be gone, you know? And, uh, a lot of these things are kind of underappreciated, but they're slowly finding their audiences and they're even finding new audiences today. So yeah, SOBHorror.com. And we got, I mean, we got tons of great movies. I'll just recommend some of my favorites real sure, quick. Sure, go uh, ahead. Yeah. Definitely Metal Noir, Spirit Gallery, Mr. Ice Cream Man, all the ones I sent you. Yeah. Those are definitely <laughs> some of my favorites. Uh, we also have a film release. So we did put out a movie called Blood Orgy of the Leather Girls. Uh, which is a 1988 film. It's it's a bonkers, juvenile, delinquent, gore, punk rock kind of hybrid <laughs> movie. It's so great, you know? And so, yeah, so it's not just shot on video stuff as well. And, uh, you know, uh, that, that's another one of my favorites. And I also like teen slasher movies. It's one of these uh, subgenres that I don't think a, a lot of people are even aware exists. But uh, movies like Americill from Chris LaMartina, who people might know him from his current work, like Cargo of the Cthulhu, WNUF Halloween special, um, movies like The Sadness, movies like Slumber Party Murder Mania, which is Henry Kudo's uh, first film. We have that one in the catalog as well. So, uh, you know, it's a wide variety of all sorts of, you know, zany shot on video movies so definitely go to the site please help support us i mean we i'm, I'm not gonna lie we're, we're we're struggling a little bit right now to stay afloat covid's definitely hurt our business uh like it's hurt a lot of people and uh you know I, i'd love to continue putting out more great stuff for people but i definitely need people to to keep supporting us to do that so fantastic yep slash thank you for having me like oh yeah i'm so appreciative of uh getting to come on and, and, and speak to you about all this oh it, it's been a blast it's a pleasure meeting uh you know uh, people who have a passion for films and look at something uh that is older than the year 2010 you know? <laughs> <laughs> which these films definitely are so yes folks go uh, go support them hashtag support your indie film distributor along with hashtag support your indie filmmaker um because yeah made by people who share the passion uh, that you have so uh i thank you very much sir for doing this and uh yeah people seek it out you get that you get that stimulus check it's not gonna cost that much go there and you're gonna find something you like or and our gifts are cheap i mean yeah. we literally have dvds for six bucks there i mean i always i always try to have cheap movies i mean we're not we're not getting rich off of this i just want people to see the movies uh all of our discs are always under 20 bucks so a lot of stuff for 10 bucks right now we're doing daily deals got a new daily deal every day 10 bucks a movie so so there you go folks so check it out thank you so much tony and uh, i think uh we'll just say a good night <laughs> good